You're listening to Post Perspectives Meet the Artist podcast, sponsored by Puget Systems. Hi, I'm Randy Altman with Post Perspective, and welcome to the latest episode of our Meet the Artist podcast. For this edition, we spoke to Jason Diamond from the directing and producing team of the Diamond Brothers. He spoke to us about the process of creating VR experiences and more. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Josh. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, anytime. Um, before we dig into your work in AR and VR, why don't you tell us a little bit about your past in production and post? Yeah, my brother, twin brother, Josh, and I have had a production company uh, since the late 90s. And even from the mid to late 90s through the early 2000s, we were also editors. Uh, so <clears throat> our production company was servicing certain editorial clients, sh- shooting some stuff, but really feeding our, you know, as every, as every filmmaker has the directing addiction, you know, so you have, you find your, your other means of supporting that. And over time, we just transitioned fully to directors and producers, um, which I think is, um, the editing and sort of all that background really helps to be a better director uh, and everything. Cause like I can edit in my head while I'm interviewing somebody or shooting something. And so I know at least not like I don't rely on my editors that I'm currently hiring for any given job, but as, as the director, I can see the parts in my brain needing to be put together and how they're going to be put together. So I can much of this may have sometimes myself or, producing partners being like, oh, we need to get this extra thing that wasn't, you know, <laughs> scheduled, right. but it's going to, we're going to need it, you know. Uh, right. Which so I it's, think not, is, it's not like, it's not like with just traditional editors only that have to go back to the director and say, hey, we need to pick up, you're, you're already doing that in your head. Yeah. Trying is, to. Yeah. Not always perfect, you know, but it's a, it's a good model to try and follow. And I think even editor directors that aren't editors can do it as well, but you know, I think the other thing is just Josh and I being super technical people uh, also helps because and having been in post-production before being in production mainly means that we don't often or at all really use the phrase fix it in post. We try to fix it while we're doing it. We also understand how to hand off material appropriately to the other departments in post. So we're not just giving them a shoebox full of data and saying, figure it out. Like everything's properly structured and managed. And of course, lots of people do that. And that, you know, doesn't make us unique, but it, it is at least something that we feel helps us and how we function and, and plan and shoot and whatever helps us to sort of make sure that we're as a, in that pre-production meeting, we understand how to get it all the way to delivery, um, which just makes for an easier conversation, honestly, in pre-production. Uh, Cause hopefully we aren't doing any of that stuff while we're shooting, we've already figured it out. Right, sure. It, well, I think that's when I met you and your brother. So you guys are the Diamond Brothers. We and um, It's our real child. last name, we didn't make it up. <laughs> <laughs> I do get asked, I do get asked occasionally like, uh, uh, for people who don't know us, they're like, oh, well, like if they just meet me or my brother, they'll be like, oh, the Diamond Brothers, is that like a, like a, a, th- a thing, you know, like just like a, a brand name or something? And yeah. we're like, no, we're, we're twins and it's our last name. It just happens to sound cool. It does sound pretty cool. It does. 
Um, yeah. So, I mean, I've known you for forever, back to post, like I said, and yeah. um, I've watched you sort of on your path and it's it's been pretty cool. And you guys have jumped into, as we were saying, um, you know, VR and most recently, I mean, maybe not most recently, because you said you've been doing this for, for quite, a, quite a while. And I do mm-hmm. believe that concert films were a big part of, of your path in, in VR, mm-hmm. is that correct? Yeah, in, in 2018, uh, 2017, 20, in, leading into the production year of 2018, um, Josh and I had another company uh, with some partners and we had secured the, and that was VR specific, and we had secured the contract with Meta to do all the concerts for their venues, nascent venues platform, as they were starting to debut more VR opportunities in their headsets, as they uh, had purchased Oculus and started incorporating actual physical things into their VR initiatives, you know, Zuck, Zuckerberg, I don't know, I don't know why I said Zuck, I don't know him, but Zuckerberg, uh, <laughs> had made public statements saying that his, you know, goal was to get X gajillions of people into VR at, over a specific calendar time. And I, I'm pretty sure these are public numbers. I didn't get this internally is I think they spend like $10 billion a year on VR, which is impressive and quite frankly, very appreciated by my our, ourselves in the VR community because every other, every other company really up until you know, uh, l- earlier this week or last last Friday when people could order their Vision Pros, you know, like Meta is the only game in town that's really putting the resources and the belief in the in the um, format. You know, Samsung dropped out, Google dropped out, um, uh, even HTC to a certain extent. I mean, they are still making headsets, but and they never really made content. But you know, everyone was like, okay, we 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 hit that first peak of VR from, you know, mid 2010s, you know, till the pandemic and it didn't really bite. So everyone was like, yeah, forget it. Even though the companies that were funding it uh, at the time, like I had mentioned, they all have plenty of money. It's not a money thing. They just didn't see the interest and they didn't feel like committing resources to that uh, thing. So Meta, I guess, like I said, for all of our benefits has had to stayed in the game. Uh, so at, around 2018, uh, they debuted their venues platform, which was for live performances, uh, live streamed and, you know, ephemeral. So if, if you weren't in the headset at that particular time, you couldn't see it, uh, which was, I think, their initial approach to just, you know, which a lot of people did on TV. I'm pointing to my TV. A lot of people on TV uh did as well like a lot of networks had changed to this live kind of thing to see if that would drive viewership because it's tough to get people to commit to going you know like oh watch this show well i'll get to it and then you know your friend says have you seen that and you're like i haven't seen it yet and it's been three months since i mentioned to you so yeah live has this uh potential for uh excitement and um needing to tune in so, right, because you're going to miss it if you don't. It's like appointment viewing, uh, yeah, in a way. Yeah, like TV used to be uh, for us yeah. old folks. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, you know, so so for all of 2018 and 2019, we went all over the world doing live uh, concerts. You know, for every you know, we would go to their concert, 
piggyback on the show like we did Billie Eilish in Madrid in, in September of 2019. We went to Madrid with all our gear and we worked with her road you know, manager and, and team to get our cameras as a second layer to the live performance for people in the, in the house. Uh, the real actual venue. And of course you're limited. It's a great, it's a great opportunity for people who couldn't be in Madrid or who wanted to see her and couldn't get tickets or were excited to see her later in the show, in the tour or had already seen her, whatever your reason is to want to see it. Um, but you know, you are, you are working within a finite construct. They we're, they're not there to put on a show for our cameras. They're there to put on a show the artist is putting on a show for the people who paid money. And then we have to find creative ways to get the capture medium we want to integrate to the live experience in the headset, which is a tricky thing. And I think I feel pretty confident that Josh and I, over those two years uh, and different guidelines from Meta in terms of how their, their viewing experience changed through um, their own development process of their app and other things, you know, really understanding the medium. And we had been doing it, like I said, since 2015. So we already had the experience coming into the live experience and Josh and I having been editors and cutting a ton of concert series for MTV and other people like multicams, like it was the perfect marriage of that technology, music. Josh and I are musicians. We've had bands. We've gone on tour with our own bands around the country and other places in the world. So I felt like in for concerts, it puts us in a really good position to be able to speak to an artist or their team and understand their position because we've been on tour, maybe not playing arenas, but you know, even playing a club or a medium-sized club has its own uh, process. Sure. So we know how to stay out of their way and not interrupt their process, but we also know how to speak to them as musicians and artists and, and creatives. And they often have their own video teams that are doing 2D visuals to be put on LED walls and other, whatever their stage set is. So like, I think by the time we culminated in 2018 to start that process, we had gathered a ton of disparate knowledge that all of a sudden became a unified knowledge base to to be able to do the thing we started doing at that point. So how many concerts would you say you did in VR over the years? I mean, in those two years, uh, I, it's at least 50. It could be a hundred. Actually, no, it's got to be, it's 150 because we went to South by Southwest in 2019 and we streamed a hundred bands in four days from the Mohawk uh venue at south by southwest in austin and so we had two 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 four camera setups in two two areas so they have an in they had an indoor stage and an outdoor stage and so the mohawk had a hundred bands perform over four days and we did all of them uh so that was that was maybe jacked up our numbers there yeah, yeah. uh but, you know, every band was different. Every band had different instrumentation. So it's almost like, a, you know, figuring out, I mean, granted, our camera positions couldn't change. So we had to find camera positions that we felt worked with most of the potential staging. And granted, it's a festival. So probably, you know, drum risers aren't really changing. Amps aren't really changing. It has its own unique um, things. And you know, Josh and I's bands had played South by Southwest for years in the early 2000s. Uh, before we started going to South by for film. 
and so, you know, even there we felt very comfortable having been in Austin as a band member playing, you know, showcases and, and festival dates and stuff. So, um, and it's my favorite festival, both for both music and, and film. But, uh, but yeah, so it's gotta be, it's probably about 150, I think that was pre pandemic. That's, uh, that's good. So recently, I mean, you you've done a lot, but recently, most recently you've done, um, Blackpink and Doja Cat. Yep. Uh, so Blackpink, I think was just before Doja Cat and then Doja Cat just premiered. We, right? Yeah. Do, uh, Blackpink premiered December 26th. Um, and Doja Cat was January 20th, but we shot Blackpink in South Korea in Seoul in late September and we shot uh we shot Doja Cat in early December in Detroit. So how I mean I guess how was the process on both of these different events? What what kind of cameras are you shooting with? How long does it do you do a you must do a ton of pre-production where are you going to put the cameras the best placing for that kind of thing. I mean, what goes into that process specifically for these two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I'll start with Blackpink um, and Blackpink because we used the methodologies from Blackpink when we did Doja Cat, uh, but in a different way uh, because we couldn't scout uh, Blackpink, right? We couldn't go to a show uh, and, and see it before we uh, based on timings and other things, we couldn't, we, we weren't able to see one of their U.S. shows before we went to uh, Korea. Whereas, whereas Doja Cat, we were able to go to Newark in New Jersey, see her show, meet the team, do all that pre-production in person, and then make our camera plot plan like on the day at the scout and then see the show and then refine that even more when we got to Detroit many weeks later uh for the actual shoot so that was a, a totally different approach whereas korea you know we worked with with the yg entertainment and the blackpink team um they sent us um a ton of their own internal video that they had captured from their certain shows that they felt best represented what they were going to do in korea because they created a specific uh, experience for the hometown korean audience um, versus what they did at these giant stadiums. This was, a, was a, I'll use the term smaller, but it was like still a 20,000 seater uh, ballpark, baseball park in, in uh, Korea, which for them is small because they, they sold out MetLife Stadium two nights after Taylor Swift in the States. So, you know, they're, they're, they're at that level. Yeah. Um, so to do this smaller, quote unquote, hometown show in Korea was really fun, uh, both for the fans and for us because, you know, capturing a show in a MetLife stadium is totally different than even the garden. Right. So, um, so anyway, they sent us a, a bunch of footage of one of their, um, of, of, uh, one of the shows, uh, different couple camera angles, and we studied it and compared that with mechanical overheads and other drawings of their stage plot and made our own cross-referenced document that showed us at any given time, where the girls would be, because there's four of them plus dancers, um, where they would be on stage given during any given thing, part of the set. Uh, 
And then so based on that Venn diagram, we were able to extrapolate, okay, these camera positions, because our cameras don't move and we don't use PTZ heads or anything like that because um, they're obtrusive. And, and unless we're doing a concert with someone who's like really saying, come in and be a part of the thing. And it's not like these artists aren't welcoming, but they are there to put on a show. So, yeah. so our equipment has to be unobtrusive. And so in order to do that, we can't use larger gear like rail cams and other things that you would want to use to be able to really be like, I don't know, just put a rail cam down this whole side of the stage and then we'll just follow them. Right. Uh, we have to do fixed camera positions for some of these opportunities. So it's really finding the camera positions where you maximize usage because you don't want to put a thing and be like, oh, this moment is really fun. But it's they're only there for 10 minutes of a two hour performance like that's a waste of a camera. Uh, and to your point, we're using Red Raptors uh, and those are not cheap. So we can't travel with, you know, 20 of them if we were shooting on GoPros or some, you know, some other thing where they're they're pocketable. Yeah, we'd throw them all over the place and be like, you know, let's just get everything. So for for Blackpink, we ended up using uh, eight raptors and three canon r5c's um and um so yeah so so to the stage plotting we went ahead and did that and then you know of course in the standard production dialogue you would with any client you submit your ideas they give you feedback uh and what have you and we we settled on something remotely and then of course we fly to korea and then you know they were building luckily they were building the stage for a few days so we were able to go there and see the stage being built in various um uh stages of being built uh for lack of a better term and really like begin to use other you know tools to determine that where we wanted to be was the right thing ask questions of the people again because we're in korea we have translators we have other, you know, there were significant people who spoke English, but of course we want to respect the culture and the language. And so we want to have native speakers with us so that we can make sure we're really communicating, you know, nuanced technical information and other things uh, uh, to the Korean team, South Korean teams. So, you know, and yeah, all the, literally all the way up until the doors opened and no one could go on the stage, we were, we are, we are tweaking and moving and adjusting cameras based on any new information that's coming in uh, or things we're seeing and being like, oh, that's, they just put that piece on stage. That's closer than we thought or looks different or what I'm, you know, making that up. But, you know, just for example, things are happening, we're responding and just trying to be creative in those responses. You're listening to Post Perspectives Meet the Artist podcast. Sponsored by Puget Systems. So, what about the post process? How did, so once you capture everything, what's your what's your next step? Well, so we're pretty well dialed in on set. We're using just to finish that sort of thought process. We're we're running all the cameras back to a home base, and we're functioning like a live broadcast without without sending it anywhere. So we use Blackmagic gear and and switchers and you know constellations and all the kind of like high-end 4k transmission quote-unquote 
or, or, or broadcast switching gear so that we can see all of the uh, cameras at once, of course, so we can monitor them. We're using things like uh, uh, Red's um, Red Control Pro. To be, I can control all the cameras from my laptop uh, at the home base to double it, literally every button on the camera is available to me as a master slave scenario or per camera scenario so we have ultimate control over the cameras uh and then we're using stuff like assimilate uh you know uh scratch live or live effects rather to be able to do like real-time headset previews so we can for both for ourselves and for the client or the artists if they happen to want to come back and look at the cameras we can show them their set in real time so that they can understand what's happening which often certainly in that prior pre-pandemic time when we were doing all these concerts would be super beneficial for an artist who wanted to be really engaged and came in and was like oh i get it because of course again we're always fighting for camera height because low camera angles are cool but in VR, they can often cause weird distortions and like make you feel small and other people feel big. And sometimes that's cool and sometimes it's not. So we always want to get at least, you know, up as high as we can to give as much of a sort of real world um, scale as we can. And that often comes. That decision often will come after having a discussion with somebody on the actual production concert production team or the artist being able to actually look at it and understand it. Cause like I can look at a VR camera just in the wild and tell you what it's going to look like relatively because I've been doing it for so long, but an artist who's never put on a headset or maybe has just played games. Doesn't, they don't have the inherent like mind's eye visual of what a fisheye lens does what the, what it looks like in a headset and all those things. So the, the onset preview is maybe the most crucial uh, tool. But yeah, to your to your point, when we come back, it's really just mostly a traditional editing process uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, we, we do everything in Resolve. Uh, but are like you wearing a headset when you're at, at times at times uh, again, because we're all uh, ourselves and the people on our teams are are um, experienced like we can cut with the fish eyes and understand what it's going to look like. So we can just like rip through edits without having to go through other processes that might take some more time in order to see things in the headset. Of course, we do, we look at everything in the headset, but we like to get moving as quickly as possible, you know, in the, again, in the traditional editorial, which is like, uh, you know, syncing cameras, audio, you know, all, all the stuff, they're just camera files at that point. Um, there are 3Ds and then we make dailies and, and other things depending on, you know, we like to stay in our 3Ds as long as we can uh, in editorial, but it's hard because, you know, six to eight, uh, 8K, 60 R3Ds, I mean, even with a multi gigabyte a second drive is difficult to play back, you know, responsively. And that's not a knock on anything. It's just, you know, there's... It's a lot to do. So, you know, we'll make dailies and just rip through the edits and then, you know, do this, do proxy, non-proxy flips. That's why we like Resolve because it gives you that really fast proxy, no proxy flips. It, it you know, we're, we color in Resolve, so it's easy to send stuff to our colorist. 
and and have him start doing things and doing quick conforms and looking at uh, color options and all you know it allows us to really double duty a lot of things um in post because sometimes we have longer post processes like the black pink and sometimes we have shorter which was like a month during a holiday for doja cat so we need you know our processes have to be flexible the we want we want the length of our post time to be reserved for creativity not the length of the post time determining the complexity of the post pipeline if that makes sense oh absolutely it, it yeah. totally so how from when you started working in vr mm-hmm. to now how has your job become easier or maybe more complicated oh maybe? man <laughs> i mean i think what's become easier is the fact that everything looks better right which is not a knock on any hardware or camera manufacturer prior to let's say today but there's limitations just like i said about you know data streams in an editorial process it's all it's all moving forward you know and as the as the industry moves forward then we get benefits of certain things that overflow into uh the vr process uh and now that uh you know people like canon are making that that stereo fisheye lens that they make so you get a stereo image in a single sensor like thank you that just makes us capturing stereo which we did for doja cat so much easier because it would be difficult to put two cameras up next to each other with fish eyes with and have them be unobtrusive and now i'm doubling my number of my cameras if i want to do a six camera shoot i need 12 cameras is that cost effective or prohibitive to the budgets that we're getting you know the, all those things matter as you know uh so so just that tiny advancement of getting that canon lens uh helps for stereo uh just the fact that red made a small very small 8k 120 camera gives us the ability to capture 8k 60 natively uh or slow-mo if we want it um you know and and even just from cost perspective you know computers are better and faster uh uh camera media is cheaper and bigger and faster you know all these like disparate things that happen in the world for other people and other production and post needs filter down into VR and make our lives easier. Uh, I think, I think it's mostly in that case, in, you know, it's easier. I guess it's easier to make a better image if I ultimately, right. Cause that's all it is. I mean, whether you're editing it or doing it, whatever, it's all, we're just capturing an image and you know, certainly the dynamic range of the red and the sharpness of that camera allows us to see further into the crowd than we could ever see before. Like now we're having to potentially blur people's faces in the crowd because you can see who they are, which is a good problem to have because I'd rather have that. I'd rather have that be a problem than be like, I can't see further than four feet away from the camera. Right. Because of just fidelity, you know, reasons. So I think, I think that's where it gets easy. That's pretty cool. So I'm going to let you go very shortly, but um, where do you see VR? So when you, you said when VR first came, came about, 
it, nobody really knew where, what it was going to do. Like I remember sitting in a, it was like at a bar, it was work related. It was at a bar. Um, for the first time I got to see VR and I was like at a, a Paul McCartney concert. Oh yeah. You know, and, but like people's lives are going on around me and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Holy crap. This is amazing. It was like mm-hmm. just the coolest experience. And I, I loved it. And, but people were also like, well, where is this going to go? Is it going to be like stereo, you know, 3D and be very, super, yeah. super, you know, they didn't know what was going to happen with it. So, yeah. so how did that, how do you see that? How was the evolution and where do you see VR sitting right now and into the future? I mean, I mean, certainly high frame rate stereo capture is really should be the benchmark for everything because it's so immersive. And, you know, I showed a friend um, uh, uh, the Doja Cat concert in stereo on my headset and they were not, uh, they weren't a VR naysayer, but they weren't like, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was on their radar as a entertainment medium. And they were so enamored with the show because it was, oh my God, I'm here. Like I am in the concert. I am. It's so in- immersive, it's engaging, it's sharp. It's the stereo is great. So you're feeling smoke and lasers and all this stuff that probably better than you do in person, honestly, because because you're so close. Like our main camera in the Doja Cat show, her stage, by the way, I just want to point out, her stage is a pyramid. It's a triangle. So, and it's only 68 feet deep as opposed to the black pink stage, which is 150 feet wide and about 80 feet deep. Um, and so the scales capturing that kind of scale in VR, we can do it obviously, but there was, everything is, is forward because it's, they're all rectangles, right? And even the, the catwalk down the middle and a little stage down in the front for black pink. I mean, we got great angles. We're, we're happy, but they're still rectangles, which, which are, gives you inherently specific things that are going to happen as people perform to the space they're in. And Doja Cat's team had had designed, and and her, I'm assuming as well, a pyramid, uh, a pyramid, a triangle. So the tip of the stage, we had a camera at the tip of the triangle. So, so when you're looking at her, not only are you seeing her like, I don't know, five feet from the camera, but the stage itself is going off into perspective, you know, as opposed to just being this big flat rectangular plane in front of you. And it was incredible because also our cameras on the side allowed us to, to capture the choreography and the, the production design that she was doing different than we had at any point uh, up till now since, you know, 2015. So it was it, um, just the, that little change that, again, had nothing to do with us. Uh, I think was one of the biggest contributors to the excitement and the exciting nature of that particular capture. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I know I digress from your question, but, um, you know, the, the VR currently is, you know, it's at a bit of a tipping point and it's never going to go away unless again, Zuckerberg and now Apple decide to just completely abandon it, which seems unlikely. Uh, you know, Apple, Apple uh, is just dipping their toe in the water. 
they're going in a completely different direction than Meta is, right? Meta does not own the means of the whole pipeline. Apple, in their particular approach, they own everything. They own the computer, they own the chips, they own the ecosystem, and they own the headset, right? And they own the content that's going into the headset because for a lot of it, you know, at least Apple TV stuff and their apps that are going into it. That is a completely different approach. And they're, they're arguably going towards a spatial computing platform, right? Because they have two chips in their headset. They have the M M2 chip, which is computing, and the same one as your laptop. And then they have the R1 chip that's taking all the camera data from all the little cameras around the headset and doing whatever they need to do with that. That's a computer. That's a laptop on your face. That's yeah. a complete, which I'm all excited about. And you know, we've all, we've ordered them and I'll have them on February 2nd. Today's the 24th. So, you know, TBD on where that's going. But, you know, Meta has their own unique position because their price point is well suited for the general public. They don't own the means of any other systemic portion. Like they, nobody owns PCs, right? Microsoft makes the operating system, but nobody owns the PC as a computing platform. And so that's its own challenge. Uh, And then, you know, Meta owns their content that they, that they've, you know, put their toes into and we'll see where they go with it outside of, you know, it seems like everybody's focusing on sports and music, which is a inherently social and I hesitate to use the word easy, but a easier entry point into content than like a narrative, right? Because you're picking, Mm -hmm. You're picking a band or a sports team. Uh, again, like I guess maybe the theme is here. Outside outside forces um, are people are going and watching football and let, I'm just using football as an example. Football or a concert, Blackpink, Doja Cat. That's all happening regardless of of any secondary media. So if you're then going to do a concert or an experience around that, you can pull in the fans that you haven't had to pay to engage in terms of like build uh, as opposed to doing a narrative like Josh and I were the VR camera supervisors on Doug Lyman's uh, foray into VR with jaunt years ago called invisible. And while it was super fun, you had to much like a film jaunt and uh, whoever else they had as a partner on that had to generate interest from scratch from people to be able to want, be interested yeah. to see it, right? Yeah. So this is the challenge of traditional media, m- movies and Sundance and all these things to generate buzz to make someone go, oh man, that trailer's awesome. I got to see it. So uh, to bring my digression back around, that's why sports and music makes sense for these VR experiences because you're able to piggyback on known uh, audiences and, and groups of people. Where it goes from there, I mean, I everyone certainly both the quest three and the vision pro both are leaning heavily into pass through so you can see what's happening in your room which gives you the opportunity to do ar and mixed reality experiences um which is really where it's going ultimately uh i think because you have the ability to do anything from gaming which is a no-brainer in all these platforms but then also entertainment there's you know, with volume capture, you know, coming up to speed and, and those things, you know, uh, becoming more reality and, and even just general mocap with that traditional background and being able to make volumetric assets from there, being able to put 
an artist standing on your table while you're eating breakfast and sing you a song is, you know, a very near term possibility. Uh, if anyone wants that, I don't know. I don't, maybe an artist wants to, uh, you know, partner with Jimmy Dean and sing about sausage or something. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, all of these things, you know, uh, are moving forward. And again, Apple's making chips that make their computers better, which eventually will make their headsets better. There's, there's, it's, it's like a runoff. I call it like a technology runoff waterfall effect of things that are going to benefit VR and spatial computing that aren't necessarily made for VR and spatial computing. Where can people watch Doja Cat or Blackpink? Is it available? Yeah. Yeah. They're both on horizon worlds in uh, quest two or quest three. Um, I believe currently those are, let me just double check the, I think it's in Canada, France, Iceland, Ireland, Spain, United Kingdom, and the U S. Fantastic. Uh, don't wow. ask me how they make those. Just the pretty, but, pretty, but uh, yeah. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time. This was really cool. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. Thank you for listening to Post Perspectives Meet the Artist podcast, sponsored by Puget Systems. For more information, please visit pugetsystems.com.